0: Rotorua is one of the most visited towns for tourists, and while Te Puia, or the New Zealand Māori Arts and Crafts Institute, is one of the larger attractions, back in the day it was also part of the Whakareorewa village. Eventually it would be separated, literally, by a small gate. It's also where Guide Rangi became famous for her tours of the village, where she hosted royalty and dignitaries. Her legacy is, and others before her, cemented in the history books. Like any operating business, which is what Whakarewerua Village is, with arts and crafts stores, tours and cafes, it's also home to Tūhaurangi Ngāti Wahiau and Te Pākira Marae, and where many of the kids of the village were called penny divers because they would dive into the nearby stream for money thrown in by tourists. When I visited Whakarewerua Village, I sat down with John Walker. Husband of the late Maureen Waka and his sister Mahura Wiston, to talk about the work of the village's first director, Kuru Waka.
1: Uh, I suppose we are the yahika of our family. <laughs> At this, we've been in, I've been in Whakareware all my life, and Mahora's never been far away. Mm.
0: So, John, you've never moved away from Rutsurua?
1: No. I've worked out of Auckland, although the family's always lived in Rotterdam because the tours, I was a tour driver, and the tours always came back through Rotterdam, so the family was always here. Mm. And I used to flat up there and then come home on my days off.
0: Your dad... Um, actually, we need to clarify something. The first director, as I understand, was Mr P.H. Leonard, and then your dad?
1: No. No. And we'll go back to the beginning. And the beginning was when Kake... Ah, Kake Leonard was his name, and he came to our house and approached the old man. And uh, they had worked out that they were going to... It was a problem with the, the, the arts, the Māori arts and crafts. They could see that it was diminishing and they were in fear of losing it. So that's when they... And I don't know who came up with the idea to establish the Arts and Crafts Institute, but it was Kake that came to the old man and said, this is what we think we should do. I want you to come and help me to set it up. So, and my father was at uh, the State, uh, Advances. State Advances. He, was, he, he was at the State Advances Corporation, which then became the Housing Corp later on. And, uh, and he had a, a good job, good pay, Ten kids. We had a table like this when we were <laughs> when we, yeah, we were having cake We in
0: a boardroom. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, and of course, there was no guarantees. You know, he would he would need to give up his job and then go out into the wilderness wilderness, as it were, with no guarantees. And so, I I always remember him around the table talking to the old lady, talking to mum, uh, trying to debate whether he should or whether he shouldn't. He wanted it to happen. You know, you could tell that he was he was keen to have it happen, but he was considering all these ten kids around the mm-hmm. table. Anyway, uh, after a lot of soul-searching and discussion, he decided to, to quit his job and then go and start with Kaki, which, which he did. As far as the institute itself was... Uh, was a blank piece of ground, really, you know, a bare, bare, bare ground. So first they had to look for a, uh, a building, and they came up with the post office, was it? The post office, was it, from?
2: from or the scout hall? It was the old
1: scout hall. Anyway, they yes. came up with the building, and they trucked it onto the site, And for all of that beginning work they had to borrow £70,000 to set it all up and they set it up and then they got ticket boxes for the tourists and that's all the money they ever borrowed, £70,000. From the bank? Yeah, from the bank. They'd never borrowed any more money. Everything else was developed by the tourist dollar or the tourist pound in those days. So, yeah, uh, so it took, it took a, a while for them to set it all up because officially the Institute opened in 1965. That's when the, first, uh, when the doors opened. And that's when the old man was the director, right. when it opened. Yes. Okay. By then, Kake had pulled out. He'd finished. He'd done his job and there between he and the old man. They obviously had an understanding. So once it was established, the old man took over and Kake had finished. That's as we recall.
0: And so, um, ten kids, your dad's got this flash new job. Yeah. How was that growing up with um, well, the institute? for me,
1: um, I... Were you t- doing the
0: tickets or, you know, helping no, no, out? No, 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 I was
1: away <laughs> then. I oh, was, OK. I was away. Uh, I was farming. Yeah, but uh, and them were here at the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, you mm-hmm. went away too, eh? Too.
2: I had just come back from australia i 'd been um, teaching in Australia for three years. And I came home then I got married and yeah, it was in my first second year of marriage when the institute was set up and I remember uh, they had little ticket boxes for the ticket takers who were all the ladies of the of the par, so Dad always wanted to ensure that the people working for them at the Māori Arts and Crafts were people from the PA, you know, so that to give them employment and you know security for their children. So they had all these um, these ticket boxes set up at strategic points at the two entrances, one from Whakarewarewa village from Te Pākira and one at the top here at the model PA. And they were just like those little... Um, sentry boxes that you yep. see outside Buckingham Palace. <laughs> you <laughs> so you just sit in there step in the door and hello, there was a seat and a little bench and a little window for the people to stop at and those were the the boxes that our our ladies worked
1: from mm.
2: for years.
0: So we talked briefly about um, there was obviously there was no Tepuya back then, it was just one whole
1: It was known as the Maori Arts and Crafts Institute. It actually developed from our tour through Whakareorewa. Everything started at this end Mm. and then went. But then it became, as I say, prior to that, people could just wander through the uh, Model PAR as it was known. But of course, once the institute started, then they had to put ticket boxes, and so everybody paid to go through both ends, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that all developed so that the. Uh, everybody who went through was paying.
2: Mm. And then, of course, it was set up by the government you know, mm. to set up the schools, the carving school and the weaving schools. And then that's when they had their first intake of uh, apprentices, apprentice carvers. Um, they had
1: seven carvers, from one from each tribal district. And the idea was that each carver would learn the seven different styles of carving for the different areas. So if carvers were asked to carve down at Ngai Tahu, then they would all understand the the idiosyncrasies of their arts down there and they would all be able to carve a meeting house for Ngai Tahu or up north or wherever. So they had to learn all the styles and the master carver was John Diapa, of course. And right at the beginning, he invited them all to bring their... Their lunch and that into the room where they carved, and they had a karakia to a Whakanoa and then they had a had a cup of tea in where they carved to take all the tapu off the carving, so that there would be no no fear of any transgression on the Maori arts. So it, yeah, so that's what uh, that's the reason he did it. So that opened it all up.
2: And of course, it's interesting to note that two of the original apprentices are now um, Clive Fugle and James Ricard. Oh, yes, James. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they were two of the original uh, in the original intake, and they're still there all these many moons yeah. later.
0: Mm. So, do you think it was a difficult job for you, or challenging job for your father back in those
1: days? There were, there were, uh, there were problems. I, I can remember. I can't quite remember why, but he was he was in court for about three days. Hey, remember, and something to do with the woman who owned this place. Remember, they were objecting to certain things, but uh, it ended up in court. So I can't I can't quite remember exactly what it was all about. But it was a, something that he was a little angry about. I think
2: and, it was something to do with the buses coming here and shopping here rather than up there, because of course... Oh, OK, you know... Because it stopped to... here first
1: before... Well, well, the entrance was here, right at the beginning. Mm. Everybody came in here until it gradually built up up there and then they turned them around and then then they came from both ends and then all all of a sudden they all came in at the top. And, of course, at the, at the time that they had shut the gate, well, then we had to virtually establish our own tour again.
2: And I think it was a challenging job for Dad. You know, he, he, he was a very forward-thinking man. And, you know, a lot of the people had set ideas. They, they had set ways of doing things. They were used to the old way of doing things. And, of course, you know, time moves on. You have to progress. And some people don't like change and don't like progress. But he battled on regardless and he he was passionate. He was really passionate about this place and about the people. And he loved his job, absolutely. He was gutted when he had to retire because he turned 65, and that was the policy. Oh, really?
0: I was going to say, how, is that how you... Uh, did, did, that was the policy. That was oh. the policy. He had to
1: retire.
2: It was government policy that you had to retire at 65. And, I mean, he had years and years of life left in him, and he thought, oh...
1: He was 82 when he finally died. But he used to help out anyway, you know, after that. Uh, mm. He was always being called on to do something. And, of course, he was work, living here and also being part of here. He was always involved in something. Mm. And, and if they had a hitch up there, he'd go up and sort it out.
2: Then, of course, they established the, um, the weaving school and they had the carving school. Then they um, constructed a shop because, of course, they had to make money. So they had the souvenir shop and the uh, cafe, which sold um, and ice creams and drinks and things. But uh, the policy was that you, they only sold Maori, Maori souvenirs,
1: they, not uh, tea
2: towels with Maori designs right. or anything like that. And so all the carvings, when people came here, if people came and asked around, where can I buy a genuine piece of carving? They were assured that they could go to the Maori Arts and Crafts, and it would be a genuine piece of carving that they. Bought. And they,
1: they had their own qual mark. It was belonged to the institute, so they could guarantee that it was their authentic carvings.
2: And Mum was in charge of, she was in charge of the two shops. So oh. yeah, so she did all the ordering and and she was in charge of the staff. And what was and, mum's name? Uh, her name was Louise Rangitamwe. Mm. Rangitamwe.
1: And Rangitamwe, the name Rangitamwe comes from Raukawa, which was a, another part of my mum's connection. But uh, and so she was she was also quite passionate. And uh, just talking about the passion, I don't think the old man would have taken the job if if he didn't have the. Passion. He he had to have that to to leave his other job, at which he did, and it was all all that preservation of the Maori culture and and arts that that led him into that. Mm.
0: So we're sitting here in an office, which is um, on the other side of where Te puia is, down uh, Tryon um, Avenue or try, tryon, street. tryon Street, and it's right next to the the Whakarewa Village. That's right. Can you explain the differences between the two uh, businesses?
1: As I say, there's no difference, but today, of course, the, the for political reasons, the, the gate was closed, and when it was one tour, today it's two separate tours and we here at Whakarewarewa, you are now in the offices of the Whakarewarewa Village Charitable Trust and we, uh, through the Whakarewarewa Village Tours, run the tours through Whakarewarewa. We, we have a good relationship with Tepuya, and of course most of our fire know work at Tepuya, of course as well mm. and of course also in the village. Just here at at Whatever and uh, I've been involved here all my life, yes. both in this trust and also in the Rahui Trust. And uh, I suppose we have the same passion as our parents to keep mm. things up and running and uh, yeah. progressing.
0: What's the Rahui mm. Trust, um, uh,
1: the, John? In the village, the, the, the lands are private lands, except they are multiply owned, by different whānau, own own chairs in each plot, And there's the central part where all the the baths and the cooking facilities are, that's called the rahui. And that's owned by most of the people. Not all the people, but it's owned by most. And the rahui trust looks after that. Right. Yes. And so I've been on that since way back in the 70s. And my mum used to tell me to give it up because... I used to get uh, shot full of holes at the at the meetings and, and she used to tell me, give that up. And my dad used to say, ah, leave him there, he's all right. <laughs> and I'm still there, full Must of holes. Doing... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Must be doing a good job while you're still there, John. <laughs> hey, He mihi mata kui kui kia John Waka and Mahura Weston, children of Kuru Waka, the first director of the Whakarewarewa village Rotorua.